Bill Armstrong uh, is the current president of Colorado Christian University. He uh, spent two terms as a U.S. Senator in Washington, D.C. for the state of Colorado. He spent uh, three terms in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., many years in the state legislature here in Colorado. Uh, before, during, and after his time in politics, he's been an entrepreneur, a businessman, uh, television stations, radios, uh, stations, newspapers, um, an incredible career. Now, here's what I'd like to say. Well, first of all, um, Lori and I live in Colorado thanks to President Bill Armstrong. Uh, we came to work at Colorado Christian University just over four years ago. It has been an honor and a privilege to work for him. He has an incredible passion, vision for that small university. But let me just, let me just finish with one thing. He has this incredible resume. A lot of times, um, we don't even introduce him at CCU, uh, and I don't get the opportunity to say much, because he doesn't need much of an introduction. But here's the thing. He's got this incredible resume. He has a heart for Jesus like almost no man I've ever met in my life. Uh, Jesus is at the center of what, everything that he does in his life, everything that we do at Colorado Christian University. He's inspiring. He's visionary. Please help me welcome President Bill Armstrong. Well, thanks so much. Hello, everybody. Good morning, my fellow sinners. Good morning, my fellow sinners. I am honored to be with you. I'm, uh, I'm elated to be with you. The Spirit of God is in this place this morning. The music, the message, the testimonies, the send-off you're giving to those who are going on to Oregon and California, uh, all of the wonderful things that are happening here, including uh, adding to your staff uh, a recent CCU graduate, David Perez. It just, it just feels great. Of course, the reputation of uh, this wonderful church, West Bulls Community Church, was familiar to me long before today. I've been here before. I know what you stand for. I have so many friends that are members of the church. And I just want to say, you, God bless you. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that this church is doing, a wonderful ministry in our community, may it expand, may the influence of West Bulls Community Church go far beyond Jefferson County, far beyond the boundaries of Colorado, worldwide, expanding exponentially, on and on and on. Paul, thanks for that uh, great introduction, I appreciated it. I, uh, as, you, as you were saying those nice things about me, I recalled a time or two when I didn't get such a good introduction. I remember one time when I was out in Grand Junction at the Grand Junction Colorado Rotary Club. Are there any Rotarians in the room? You mean there's not one Rotarian in this? Oh, there's a Rotarian or two. The Rotarians are wonderful people, of course. Uh, great men and women. They meet generally for lunch, and they have uh, various community projects they work on. And then uh, they do have luncheons, and they have speakers. and. In this particular instance, I was scheduled to be the luncheon speaker in Grand Junction, and I was sitting up on the, 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 uh, uh, on the dais, writing my notes for my talk on the back of an envelope, just like Abraham Lincoln did, you know, leading up to the Gettysburg Address. And I wasn't paying close attention to what was being said by the Master of Ceremonies until at a certain point in his remarks, after they'd transacted some business with the Rotary Club, at a certain point, he said the following, which caught my attention. He said, friends, it was Mark Twain who announced that there is no Native American criminal class 
except Congress. Well, that got my attention because I was a member of Congress. I was actually a senator at that, that point. And he got interested in that topic, and he started to build up a head of steam behind that idea, and he started telling people about all the instances that he was aware of where people had been elected to Congress, went back to Washington, and got in trouble, broke the rules, violated the ethical standards, broke the law, were indicted, sent to prison. And it got worse and worse and worse, and as you can imagine, by then I was starting to get pretty uncomfortable about the whole situation. And then, just as quick as he started, he changed gears. He said, friends, I want you to know that not everybody in Washington, D.C. is like that. No, he says, there are still a handful of men in public life who do what's right, even if it's unpopular, who have vision, who have the courage to look beyond the needs of today to the needs of the next generation. And today, he said, is a very special day in the life of the Grand Junction Colorado Rotary Club. Because for two months, we've been trying to get such a man to come and speak to this organization. Unfortunately, he couldn't come. <laughs> now, Pastor, how would you like to give a talk right after that kind of an introduction? Well, you know that I am the president of Colorado Christian University. It is, of course, among other things. First of all, it is, as Paul said, all about Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But it is also an educational institution. So if you don't mind, I'd like to begin with a pop quiz. Is there anybody in the room who can tell me who is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. A little louder, please. Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus. Who is uh, the Alpha and Omega? Jesus. Louder, 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 please. Who is the, who is the Lamb of God? Jesus. Who will judge the quick and the dead? Jesus. Who is the Redeemer of the world? Jesus. All together, join me. Jesus, Jesus, louder. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus! Wasn't that great? You know, if you get that part of life right, the rest of it falls into place. And here's a noteworthy thing to think about. We have now, in the last 30 seconds, mentioned the name of Jesus more often than his name will be respectfully mentioned on primetime television in the next five years. More times than his name will respectfully and reverently appear in the news section of the morning newspaper in the next 25 years. You just don't hear the name of Jesus that much anymore. Now, in days past, in days of our country which in some ways are greater than those in which we live, in, in some ways, some ways, not always, but in some ways, greater times, the name of Jesus was very commonly heard. Today, not so much so. Uh, I've noted in my own life that if I'm out for a business lunch with someone, particularly someone I don't know, uh, the name of Jesus just doesn't come up. I mean, it's awkward, particularly if it's somebody you don't know and you're getting ready to pray. And I always pray over every meal and, of course, many times a day in between. But if I'm with somebody I don't know, there's always a little awkward moment when the food is served, especially if they pick up their fork before I get a chance to say anything, and then I say, well, shall we return thanks for the meal? Sometimes they look up at me with eyes like they're startled deer in the headlights. But uh, at that instant, it's a little awkward. In fact, sometimes, maybe the first two or three or 4,000 times that I did that, at that instant, I used to hear a little voice in my ear. Uh, it was Satan whispering in my ear, be careful, 
don't do this, don't mention the name of Jesus. If you talk about Jesus, if you pray in the name of Jesus, you don't know how this other guy is feeling. You don't know how he's going to take it. He may be offended. You're going to look silly. This could be very embarrassing. I don't know if you hear voices like that, but I am convinced that at critical moments like that in everyday life, Satan does counsel us, do not mention the name of Jesus. I've had that happen at the Widget Makers Convention. I've had it happen lots of times. Not so much in recent years, but in the early years when I first became a Christian, it was commonplace. Suppose if I went down to city council to advocate some policy, pro or con, and I gave my suggestions and then announced that I based my recommendation on the teachings of Jesus. What do you think had happened? Now, you know that if I mentioned that some policy recommendation that I had come up with was based on the teachings of Socrates or Shakespeare or George Washington or Vince Lombardi or Buddha, who, who applauded for Vince Lombardi, <laughs> or, or Jack Kennedy or Jack the Ripper or Jack Nicholson or anybody, there wouldn't be, any, there wouldn't be a ripple. But if I said to city council, my recommendation to you today is based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, some people would begin to get distinctly uncomfortable. Or if I went down to the state legislature and testified before a, a committee of the House or Senate and mentioned the name of Jesus, if I did it very often, it would become quite contentious and pretty soon some busybody from the ACLU would come forward and start a ruckus. I might be restrained, I might be expelled, if I was a member of the state legislature, I might be censured, I might even be subject to being ejected from the state legislature because certain groups, including ACLU, but there's others as well, think that there must be such a great separation between church and state that the name of Jesus must never be mentioned. Somehow, they think government ought to be a God-free zone, and as for mentioning the name of Jesus, well, as they say in New Jersey, forget about it. Anybody here from New Jersey, by the way? You mean there's not a soul in this congregation? Oh, you're from New Jersey. Did you know that in the last recession, the economic situation in New Jersey was so bad that the mafia had to lay off three federal judges? <laughs> I, I didn't know if you'd heard about that. The, the reality, friends, is that in many, we, we've, we've slid so far in this country, the, the, the orientation, the culture, the thought life of, of our country has slid so far in the wrong direction in the last few decades that in many social settings, mentioning the name of Jesus is sort of a social faux pas. It's like coming to, coming to lunch without your shirt on or something like that. Why do you suppose that is? Obviously, preeminently, the most important person in the history of the world the most eminent figure of the world. History itself is divided by his, his birth and life, B.C. and A.D. Why is it that his name is so infrequently mentioned in everyday conversation? I'd like to provide a proposed explanation. There is a global conspiracy to suppress the mention and the memory of Jesus Christ. And who do you suppose is behind this conspiracy? Who's responsible for that? Someone in the first service knew the answer to that, and he or she who, who sang out the name was right. It is Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the evil one, Lucifer. He doesn't like it when we think 
of Jesus and likes it even less when we speak of him. And in fact, he is in the process, he, Satan, is in the process of convincing a great many Americans that Satan is not a real person, that he's just a symbol, just a metaphor for evil. In fact, in a recent survey, 49% of those who were polled indicated that they believed Satan was not a real person, he was just a symbol of wrongdoing. And 19%, in addition to the 49, somewhat agreed with that. 49% strongly agreed with that statement. And that, my friends, was a survey among Christians. I trust not members of West Bowles Community Church. So having hidden himself from public scrutiny, having sort of disappeared into the woodwork, Satan is now, and has been for quite a long period of time, trying to suppress the very name of Jesus. Now, why do you suppose that is? What does he care? The answer is quite simple. Every time the name of Jesus comes up in conversation, every time a person names the name of Jesus, mentions it respectfully and reverently, Satan's cause gets a setback. Every time somebody mentions Jesus respectfully and reverently, the ground crumbles a little beneath Satan. Every time Jesus comes up in everyday conversation, Satan's power is lessened. His ability to drag gullible men and women across the threshold into the gates of hell is diminished. Satan hates it when we talk about Jesus. And I think it is very clear that if we're serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ, his name ought to be on our lips all the time, constantly, in every setting, every day, seven days a week. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And I want to point out that this is quite different from being a member of the Central Intelligence Agency. Is there anyone here who's a member of the Central Intelligence Agency? Well, they wouldn't tell you if they were. There's probably a lot of members of the CIA in this congregation, but they won't tell you because they're supposed to keep that a secret. And that's the difference between being a Christian and being a CIA operative. They're supposed to keep it a secret. We're not. Being a follower of Jesus is not a clandestine activity. Now, in my own life, I think it's important that people know I'm a follower of Jesus. That's why, among other things, I wear a pin in my lapel. I wear it every day that I have a suit on, which is about 300 days a year, uh, a pin that just says Jesus. And I want people, when they see me coming, to understand who I am and what I stand for. When they see me coming down the block, block away, and they look into the distance and see me, I don't want them to say, look, there comes the former senator. I don't want them to say, look, there comes the president of a university. Now, of course, as a practical matter, what many of them will say is, look, there comes that bozo who's married to Ellen Armstrong, but that's a different, different story. What I want them to say is, look, there comes that sinner saved by the blood of Jesus. And so I aspire to have his name constantly on my lips, and that's what we try to teach students of Colorado Christian University. And I pray that members of West Bowles Community Church will become Jesus' name droppers, bringing his name up all the time, everywhere. If you do, the more often that you bring up the name of Jesus, of course, first of all, it'll become more and more natural, it'll feel better and better. Soon you'll get up in the morning rejoicing to find opportunities to mention the name of Jesus in every conversation and every opportunity, even in unexpected places. And what you'll find is a lot of people, at the very mention of the name of Jesus, 
you'll just see that they feel better. They'll straighten up, their demeanor will improve, they'll feel great, they'll smile, their eyes may tear up, or they may confide to you how much they need to know Jesus. One of the things I've noticed is that there's a lot of people around who need Jesus, and generally, almost invariably, they will not have the perspicacity or the chutzpah to bring the matter up themselves. But if you mention it, if you mention Jesus, often they will tell you of some particular need they have. Uh, a typical example of that, but a rare one in my experience, is a lady who came into my office one time and she said, I have heard that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Could you tell me how I could have such a relationship? And of course it was easy for me to do. I just said, look, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. You can't have the relationship you'd like to have because of sin. There's no way to overcome sin except through Jesus, not by good deeds or tithing or even be a, being a member of a good church. The question is, would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And, and, and of course she did. Not quite as fast as I've just explained, but very, very quickly. Now some of you in the room may recognize that what I gave her was a brief presentation of a little pamphlet that's been seen by an estimated three billion people worldwide called the Four Spiritual Laws, the distilled essence of the New Testament. But that's rare. Mostly people, even those who are desperate to know about Jesus, will not bring it up. Some people, when you mention Jesus, will get mad. In my experience, that's pretty rare, but it happens sometimes. They'll just get tense and angry and frustrated, and they may, they may uh, speak out. Don't worry about it. It's their problem, not yours. Even those who protest may well be favorably affected by the mention of the name of Jesus. And of course, sometimes if you mention Jesus, sometimes it may have unpredictable consequences. Jim Dixon, a great pastor, a great American, a great member of the Board of Trustees of Colorado Christian University, tells a story about a, a woman who was on her way down to the supermarket. She jumped in the car and got uh, driving a little faster than she should. Uh, arrived at the corner, the stoplight turned red, she screeched to a stop and she was really kind of seething inside because she was late and she needed to get on with it. And then behind her was a car that drove up and immediately began to honk. The light's still red, he's honking. She glances up into the rear view mirror and sees this guy in the car behind her grinning like a baboon. And she gets frustrated, angry, and he continues to honk, continues to grin, and finally she couldn't stand it anymore. So she opens the car door, gets out, walks back to the car behind her, knocks on the window, and he rolls down the window. He's still honking, still grinning. She reaches in and she slaps him. She felt badly about it, but still he deserved it. Then she turned on her heel to walk back to her car, and as she did so, her gaze fell upon her rear bumper and the bumper sticker that said, honk if you love Jesus. Well, some of you have got bumper stickers like that. So you'll have a mixed experience. <laughs> it is a mixed experience, but what you'll find is, what you'll find is that a lot of people will be thrilled to have you mention Jesus. And even those who are not visibly thrilled may yet be benefited in their lives. I've gotten in the habit of wearing this Jesus pin in my uh, lapel, and uh, I have people ask me about that all the time. I was in Panera Bread uh, the other day, and uh, behind the counter was a, 
a young man who was taking my order, and he says, uh, he looks at it, he says, say, are you a Mormon? <laughs> I said, no, but I am a follower of Jesus, and so it gave me a chance to tell him about it. And we talked for a few minutes, and uh, then I sent him over an hour or two uh, later a copy of uh, The Four Spiritual Laws and a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and I don't know what happened next. I prayed for him, and uh, I, I don't know how it affected his life. I know how it affected my life. I felt great about it. Happens to me all the time. I, I travel some. Not uncommon for a flight attendant to see that pin and comment on it. And when they do, I always take it off and say, uh, I am a Jesus name dropper. Would you please hold out your hand, and I'm going to drop the name of Jesus right into the palm of your hand. And I've given away hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of these pins. A small thing, it's sort of lazy man's evangelism. It's not a substitute for a more organized approach towards sharing the gospel, but it's, it's kind of fun, and, and I find it's, it's really, really gratifying. Of course, the main thing is to explain to people how they, as the woman asked me in my office, how they may have a personal relationship with Jesus. And believe it or not, all around us are people who don't know who don't get it. It is so ingrained in most of us in this room that it's hard for us to imagine somebody who doesn't understand the plan of salvation. But there's a lot of people, first of all, there's a lot of people, this is incredible. It's verified by Barna and other pollsters. There's a lot of people who are not quite sure if Jesus is a real historical figure or just a, a myth or an urban legend or fiction. They do not realize that Jesus, born 2,000 years ago in humble circumstances, uh, grew up to be the greatest teacher, the greatest miracle worker, the greatest role model, uh, the greatest person that ever lived. A man without equal, and of course he was more than a man, he was God himself. He preached love. Jesus loves it. In fact, summed up so well by that wonderful hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He spread love everywhere he went, and for his trouble, he was often criticized. And sometimes he was reviled, and sometimes worse than that. And finally, he was so countercultural that he was arrested and humiliated and tortured and put to death and on the third day rose again and declared victory over Satan and sin and death and proclaimed eternal life to all who would follow him. We know that. All around us, amazingly, 2,000 years later, there are lots of Americans and hundreds of millions, I think it's fair to say billions, of people worldwide who do not know this. We need to explain to them with the utmost clarity what it means and what's at stake. That if you want to have a full, fulfilling life and if you want to go to heaven, you need to come into a personal relationship with Christ. Literally, it is so simple, it's not complicated. Literally just ask Him to forgive our sins and to take charge of our lives, to be our Lord and Savior. It is not about being a good person. If, if you had to be a good person, nobody would get to heaven. It is not about being a member of a good church, although everybody ought to have a membership and active participation in a great church like this. It's not about good deeds. It's not about tithing, although we should all tithe. It is a personal 
relationship. Now that's exactly why Peter was so confident when he was arrested, when he and John were arrested. Being arrested was a pretty commonplace thing in those times. And <coughs> I beg your pardon. In the fourth chapter of Acts is the report. <coughs> I beg your pardon. In the fourth chapter of Acts is the account of what happened. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And it came about on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And they began to acquire of them by what power or in what name have you done this thing? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man's name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And then Peter proclaimed in words that ring across the centuries, and there is no salvation, there, I, I beg your pardon, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Amazingly, many of our friends, people we work with, people all around us, residents of Jefferson County, people from coast to coast and border to border and all over the world do not understand that. A while back, actually quite a long time ago, I had occasion to uh, visit a colleague of mine in his office in the United States Senate. And we talked of a number of things, political stuff mostly. And finally, at some point in time, I was motivated to ask him about his spiritual condition. And I asked him a commonplace question, one you have probably asked people yourselves. I said, are you going to go to heaven when you die? And he said, well, I hope so. And I said, well, let me sharpen the question a little. And again, I use a, a question that is not of my own invention. I said, well, if you were to die this minute and in the next instant found yourself at the gates of heaven and St. Peter said to you, why should I let you in? What would you reply? He thought a minute and he said, well, he'd say, I've done more good than bad in my life. And I said, yeah, like what? And he proceeded to tell me about the legislation that he had introduced. Now, this is one of the greatest legislators of the 20th century, a very famous man, a good man, a man whose name you'd instantly recognize if I was to, to mention it here this morning. But he had the idea that the way you get in heaven is by doing good deeds, or at least doing more good than bad. And I told him, look, that's not what the Bible teaches. And he was courteous and listened to me, but I didn't think it had much effect. A long time later, actually within the last three months, I went to Washington, called on him in his office. He is now quite elderly. And uh, after some initial 
conversation, I asked him some similar questions and discovered that in the intervening time since I had talked to him about it previously, more than two decades ago, almost three decades ago, he had entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. And I was so relieved. I'd felt worried and, and concerned about that for a long, long time. I was glad to just check that off my list. I'm going to see my friend in heaven. Uh, he had come under the influence primarily of his wife who had led him to Jesus Christ. But that idea that you get to heaven by doing good deeds or more good than bad is so commonplace that we need to speak out very clearly about it. A while back uh, at a college, not at Colorado Christian University, but at another college, a group of, of young Christians in a Christian organization on campus were asked to, to write a little essay, a couple of hundred words or less, about what they understood the gospel to be. 35% of these young Christian men and women wrote their essay and never mentioned the name of Jesus. I think that's a scandal. We need to be so proactive. We need to let our sons and daughters and their friends and our friends and the people we work with and the people we rub shoulders with and people on the bus and the street corner in our political parties every place about Jesus, that Jesus is here to forgive our sins. And if we accept his forgiveness and follow him, well, first of all, if we do that, according to the Bible, to those who believe on his name, he gives the power to be children of God, and we can look forward with confidence to fulfilling significant lives and then eternal life in heaven with God the Father and with Jesus his Son. Our time is short, but I have one other matter I want to mention to you, and that's the defense of religious liberty. Our ability to proclaim the gospel, to tell Jesus Christ, tell about Jesus Christ to those we encounter is very much at risk. More so, in my opinion, than at any time since the first settlers came from Europe to North America. Uh, over and over again, we hear serious threats and serious abuse of Christians. Uh, one of the missionaries who was mentioned this morning is going up to Oregon, and I think it was in the state of Oregon, where Emily is going, that uh, a florist was uh, indicted and tried and convicted for the crime of refusing to sell flowers for a homosexual wedding because it violated her religious scruples. That's happened all over the country with flower uh, sellers, photographers, and of course right here in Jefferson County, 15 minutes from where we're we're uh, seated this morning, 10 minutes from where we are this morning. A mom-and-pop bakery uh, has been persecuted for the last three years because their religious convictions told them not to bake a cake and decorate it for use at a homosexual wedding. That this could be an issue is so out of the tradition of America that it's just almost impossible to understand. But they have uh, been through the mill uh, they have been fined $135,000, and this week, the Colorado Court of Appeals has uh, turned them down in their appeal, and so they're facing a $135,000 fine and being required to go for re-education to adjust their point of view about this matter. Re-education. What does that sound like? Red China? Soviet Russia? This is happening in Jefferson County, Colorado. Even churches are not going to be safe from what seems to be happening.
Uh, you might think it just impossible to think that somebody would come and, and, and try to monitor or control or criticize Pastor Thomas's sermons. But that's exactly what happened not too long ago in Houston when the mayor sought to gather up the sermons being preached in the churches of Houston so that he could offer suggestions and advice and counsel about the content of those sermons. We need to be prepared to be very militant and in a way that reflects the love of Jesus, push back very hard at these encroachments on the traditional freedoms that American ha Americans have enjoyed under the First Amendment of the Constitution. We need to say to people, we're followers of Jesus. Jesus came into the world to set us free, to set us free from sin and Satan, but he does not expect us to then put ourselves in bondage to big government or big labor or big business or drugs or pornography or materialism or hedonism or sexual perversion. He expects us to be free, truly, truly free. Let me close by uh, telling you what I sometimes say to students at CCU and which I'd like to say to you this morning. Uh, my hope is that uh, when I hear about members of this great church, I'll hear the same thing, and I say this to students, I say, when I hear of graduates of Colorado Christian University, what I want to hear is the same thing that was being said of those people who were arrested at Jason's house. Remember that? Remember the guys who were arrested at Jason's house? Uh, Paul and uh, Silas were out preaching the gospel and uh, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue and they were preaching there and people were being converted, lives were being changed. And of course, this was a, a great, great consternation to the authorities. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. That's what I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear that men and women from West Bowles Community Church and Colorado Christian University and our counterparts around the, the nation and around the world are going everywhere and upsetting the world, turning the world upside down by telling people about salvation through Jesus Christ. Salvation through Jesus, 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 Jesus. To that end, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us. May the Lord lift up his countenance to us and give us his peace. Amen. Now one further thought. The reason that I ask Pastor Thomas to include all hail the power of Jesus' name in this morning's worship service is very simple. It really is the national anthem of, of the Christian church. But there's a particular episode which touched my heart involving a uh, missionary in India some time ago, a long time ago. And he was in the marketplace of a large city and he noticed a man who was dressed differently than all the others. His face was painted. And he discovered that this man was from a distant area, about 200 miles from the city. And he was a member of a fierce tribe. 
a tribe of, of savage warriors. And he said, I'm going to go preach Christ to that village, to that territory. And his colleagues in the mission team said, no, don't do that, because if you do, you'll never survive. They'll kill you. We'll never see you again. But he was not to be dissuaded, and so he headed off, and presently he found himself in this region where these, these uh, savage warriors uh, lived. And they came, he came upon them, and they, they were fierce. They menaced him. They lifted their spears up against him, and they encircled him. Outnumbered hopelessly, he was by himself. With the spears raised against him, he was filled with terror, assuming, of course, that this would be his last instant on earth. And not knowing what else to do, he opened his violin case and began to play. And as he played, he sang, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And then he sang the verse where it says, Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball ascribe to him majesty and so on. And as he did that, he opened his eyes. And to his amazement, the tribesmen had, had lowered their spears. Many of them had tears in their eyes. And they welcomed him to their, their area, to their region. He stayed there for quite a long period of time. And many came to a saving relationship with Jesus. May all of us have the privilege of being part of that kind of movement. God bless you all. God bless West Bowles Community Church. Thank you very much. Thank you.